Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. are speaking live to their specific campus. That's why I get to hang out with you in Livermore today. And I can't wait to talk about our, our God-given vision and mission, what we feel God is leading us toward as a campus this weekend. But with that, if you're watching online and you go to another campus, after this sermon today, make sure you reach out to your campus pastor so you can hear what he talked about in the direction that, that your specific campus is going um, over the, the course of the next year in 2020. Also, if you're watching online, and that is your campus because you live outside the East Bay, that's your context, that's where you're at. If, if that's you and uh, that chat room is your campus, stay with us because I think there's some very specific next steps that you can take even in your context, and, uh, and we're real glad you're with us. So, like I said, I, I love talking about this. God-given vision, mission, direction for our church is one of my favorite things to discuss and think about and pray about and, and understand but uh, it's also coming at one of my favorite times of year because this week we get to celebrate one of my two favorite holidays. My, my first favorite holiday we celebrated at the beginning of the month with daylight savings where we gain an hour of sleep. Great holiday. I celebrate it like crazy by going to bed on time. And then my, my second favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, which we're celebrating this week, which I, I can't wait. And I think I think the reason I, I love Thanksgiving so much is because uh, of, of food. Like there's turkey and, and gravy, yes, amen, in the back. Um, there's, there's gravy. You get to put gravy on everything, which that's the only time of year you can do that without getting a weird look. And, and there's, there's stuffing, like real stuffing, not stovetop stuffing, which my wife's family tries to pass off as real stuffing on Thanksgiving. That doesn't count. Shouldn't eat that on Thanksgiving. But real stuffing. It's such a beautiful day, and, and it's a day of abundance. Like, I love it. And one of my favorite questions that, that gets asked, gets asked repeatedly on this day, and that question is, do you want some more? And my answer is always yes. Of course I want some more. And I think our answer is yes in a lot of areas in life when it comes to this question, because we all want more. You know, growing up, my sister loved watching Disney movies, and now we all love watching Disney movies because Disney Plus just came out this past week. And uh, yeah, some people are super excited about that. How many Disney fans do we have in here? Look at you guys. Usually Disney fans are a little more vocal, but uh, I appreciate your restraint there. Uh, that was good. 
You wanted to jump out out of your seat and talk. Uh, to be honest, I've been binge watching Disney Plus, uh, the Disney Channel original movies this week. Let me tell you, Johnny Tsunami is just as good now as it was when I was a little kid. That is a cinematic masterpiece. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It will change your life. But, uh, but growing up, my, my sister loved watching Disney movies, and the, the Little Mermaid was one of her favorites. How many Little Mermaid fans do we have out there? Yeah. So we watched that movie like too much. We watched it all the time. And the very first song that Ariel sings in that movie is all about how she wants more. Like, like what, is it, what does she say? What's one of the first lines? If you know this, sing with me. She says, I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. Come on, with me. I've got who's it's and what's it's galore. Someone up there is really excited. You want thingamabobs? I got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. Or to, to be honest, I thought I was going to get like a standing ovation for that, but that's, that's fine. Um, but we're all Ariel, aren't we? Like we, we all want more, even though the more we want is typically more stuff. Like we want the gizmos and gadgets, the who's it's and what's it's, the thingamabobs. That's what we want. You know, in a recent survey, 89% of Americans said that people in the United States are too materialistic. Interestingly enough, almost the exact same percentage said, but I still feel like I need more for myself. See, we know materialism is bad, but we still want more. This is part of the human condition. We want more time, more money, more house, more stuff. This is the reality in which we live. It's part of our, it's part of our human nature. No matter what circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, in some way, shape, or form, we just want more. And this isn't some recent development. Since the beginning of time, our, our longing as human beings for more has been very apparent. I mean, we could go all the way back to Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity and what drove them to, to make a decision that has affected the rest of humanity for the rest of time. Or we could go a little bit later at a man named Solomon and look at his quest for more. The Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes, is devoted to King Solomon's longing for more. And, and he was uniquely positioned to discover how much contentment or joy or peace that more could bring him. Because he was the most powerful and wealthy person on the face of the planet. So if this guy wanted more, he could get more. And that's exactly what he tried to do. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we're going to look at what his quest for more led him to. Um, if you're new to opening a Bible, Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs and right before Song of Songs. If you open up to the middle, just turn to your, turn to your left a little bit and you'll get to Ecclesiastes pretty quick. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I'm going to just, if, as you turn there, I'm going to put the first verse from Solomon right up here on the screen, and, and check out what he said. Solomon says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I will test you with pleasure. I will give myself everything I want, all the more that I could think of, all the more that I could ask for. I'm going to give myself that and see if it's worth it. I'm going to see how it turns out. I'm going to see if it is any good. 
And that's exactly what he did. King Solomon threw parties for himself that in one day, in just one day, 30 head of cattle, 100 sheep, 500 bushels of flour, along with deer, gazelles, and exotic poultry were consumed in one day at one party. He, he built a palace so stunning that it was almost indescribable. And it took 150,000 employees 13 years to build. This guy, this guy liked music so much, and there was no Apple Music or Spotify or anything like that around in his day, so he just made his own Spotify. He hired an orchestra consisting of every known instrument in his day, along with the best singers around at that time. He also had 1,000 wives and concubines who were, who were more object than human beings to him as they were there so he could have more pleasure. Now, if all of this seems difficult to wrap your mind around, I'll just let Solomon himself explain some of this to you. Look at verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in all of Jerusalem before me. I, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. All this, the delights of a man's heart. He, he even goes as far as to say, skip, skip ahead to verse 10. He even goes as far as to say, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I wanted more, so I got all the more I could possibly ask for. And you think that all of this would have led to extreme contentment for Solomon. That he got everything he wanted. He got everything, more than what he needed. He got everything he wanted. So you think he would have been pretty content. But look at what he says in the very next verse. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You know, I was having lunch with a friend at, from, from Cornerstone this past week, and, and this guy owns his own company. He's super successful. His company does really well. And we were talking about this conversation that we're having today and kind of where I was going to be going in the sermon this weekend. And he said, you know what, Steve, what's, what's interesting is I remember the day that I hit all of my financial goals, that every financial goal I had set, I achieved every single one of them. I remember that day so well. But he said, the reason I remember that day so well is because it is the emptiest I have ever felt in my entire life. It was meaningless. All of that more that my friend told me about at lunch and all of the more that Solomon was chasing after left both of them longing for fulfillment. And what was the more they were looking for? More property, 
more entertainment, more money, all their desires and pleasures. And I think we can sum it up by saying the thing that they were looking for was more stuff. And more stuff wasn't enough. It was meaningless. And they recognized it. So, so what about you? What are you looking for? Ask yourself, what is the more I am looking for? And, and as you answer this question, if you're being honest with yourself, if your answer to this question is achieving all your financial goals, more money, more stuff, then let me warn you, it will never be enough. But you're also not alone. We just read this about Solomon. You heard what my friend said. But, but if you don't want to take Solomon's word for it, and, and you don't want to take my word for it, and you don't want to take my friend's word for it, then I'm guessing eventually you will find out. And maybe you have to experience this on your own, but if your answer to this question is more money, more stuff, I'm guessing you'll find out that it's never going to be enough. Because more stuff never left anyone satisfied. But... Even though I believe that is true, just because that is a true statement, I don't think it necessarily means that more is always a bad thing. A few weeks ago, I sent an email to our, some of our Livermore staff, and I just said, hey guys, I see you working hard, I see you plugging away, I see you doing all the things that you do for our church family, for this church community. I'm just curious, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And John Orozco, our, our Livermore worship leader, sent me a message that I just want to read to you because he put it so well. He said, I personally want to be part of a ministry that tells the greatest stories and inspires all human beings to act in the way of love. Stories that challenge both personal and temperamental biases. Stories that contend against willful blindness. Stories that shed light on our ignorance and unknowing. Stories that cause us to perpetually update the way we interact with our friends, our families, our communities, and with the world. Stories that make us like Jesus. You see, John wants more stories. The answer John gave me to the question, why do you do what you do, is he said, I want more stories. Stories of how people's lives have been radically changed by the hope they have found in Jesus. So I think it's safe to say that John cares more about stories than he does about stuff. And I think this is a good more to be looking for. If you were here with us last week, Pastor Steve taught us about Zacchaeus, who, like Solomon, was looking for more stuff. He was greedy, and he took shortcuts to acquire wealth. But after one encounter with Jesus, after one afternoon with the living Christ, he realized that more stuff was not the more to be looking for. But rather, Zacchaeus understood that what really mattered was how he treated people. Do you remember how his story ended? Jesus came over to his house and, and, and Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions, it's not about stuff, to the poor. It's about stories. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You see, when it's all said and done, nobody is going to talk about our stuff. Nobody's gonna talk about how much we had or how much we earned. What people are going to talk about is what we did with what we had. 
that are going to tell our story and that are going to tell about, they're going to talk about how we impacted their story. They're going to tell stories about us. And that's what lasts. So if we ask ourselves the question, what is the more that I am looking for? Let's take it one step further and ask ourselves, do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? See, Solomon wanted more desires and pleasures, more stuff. And Zacchaeus was on that same path until he, until he encountered Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, he realized that his story and other people's stories are what matter most. So I ask all of us as a church, do we want more stuff or do we want more stories? How about us as a Livermore campus? Do we want more of our own desires and pleasures? Do we want more stuff or do we want more stories? What is the more that we collectively are looking for? You know, over this past year at the Livermore campus, we have a lot of stories that are being told that we want to celebrate. So if you have this little trifold that you were handed when you walked in, go ahead and pull it out because I know you haven't been reading it while I've been talking because that'd be rude. Um, if you didn't get one of these, can you raise your hand? Our team would love to hand you one. Just raise your hand big. Keep it high. They'll, they'll come bring you one. Folks in the back, our, our awesome usher team, can you guys, can you guys help with this? Um, if you need one of these, raise your hand. Keep it high so people can, can get you these, uh, these little trifolds. Um, but here's the deal. You can see the numbers. On, right when you open up the first page, you can see the numbers that we are celebrating as a campus. I celebrate this stuff with you as a church, and I just want to let you know, these numbers aren't just numbers that we count so we can be like, hey, we're doing a good job. No, no, no. The reason we count is because every single one of these numbers represents a story, and we know that every person's story matters to God. So these numbers matter. Stories like 228 people attending a care, support, or recovery group each week, or 264 people reaching out to receive counseling. That's just under 500 people who are like, hey, I need help, and we as a church were able to, to provide the help that they needed. Stories like 261 people being baptized just in this last year. 261 people who are like, hey, I want to make an outward expression of my inward decision to follow Jesus, that this is where my allegiance lies, and I want the whole world to know about it. So we celebrate stories like that. 1,474 people connected in a community group. 1,474 people who are part of a smaller community, a family that cares about them, that knows them, that holds them accountable, where they're being able to, to tell their story and learn about other people's stories. We love that people are connecting in community groups here at Cornerstone. So we celebrate these stories, and I celebrate these numbers with you as a church, but just so we're clear. As the Livermore campus pastor, as the campus pastor of this campus, I want more stories. And I want more because I know how many of us are sitting in this room right now that need help, haven't, that haven't reached out for it yet. I want more because I know how many people have yet to step in the doors of this church to experience the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And I want more of those stories where people get to experience life and life to the full found in Jesus. I want more stories because I know how Jesus has molded and shaped my own story, how he's used my story, a knucklehead like me, he's used my story to impact other people, to show them the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And I know a lot of you are with me there because you know that Jesus has molded and shaped your story through the church to impact other people's stories. And I love that. It's so cool that we get to experience that but I want more. And I think this begs the question, so how do we do that? What can we do right now that will move us toward more stories? And just so we're clear, 
Last week, if you were here, Pastor Steve said, as a church, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ, and that will never change about our church. That is who we are. That's what we're about. That's what it means to help people take their next step with Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. But what I'm about to talk about is more the how. How are we going to do this? And I think it all starts with understanding where people are at. As our team discussed some of this this the whole idea that our goal is to, to help people take their next step with Jesus, we started to figure out like, hey, who are we actually talking about? When we plan something, when we try to figure out why we do something, who are we trying to connect with? And we realized that there's pretty much four groups of people that we interact with on a weekly or even daily basis. And I want to walk you through this a little bit. It's kind of like a look behind the curtain, even though I don't think there's much of a curtain to pull back. But this is what we, this is what we think about. And here's the deal. The, one of the groups that we interact with is our community. And who our community is are people who have never stepped in the doors of the church. They've never walked into Cornerstone. They've never really connected at at a church, and they're just kind of out in the community. These are your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members who aren't part of church. And so there's things that we do that we think about how do we appeal to these folks. The next group of people is our crowd. Our crowd. Now, these are, this is a fun group of people because this is the group of people. I'll, I'll meet folks from this, this group. They, these are the people that come like once a month or once every other month to church, but, but Cornerstone's their church home. And I'll meet these folks, and they'll be, like, they'll be like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And I say, hey, my name's Steve. And they'll say, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm, I'm the Livermore Campus Pastor of Cornerstone Fellowship. And they'll go, I go to Cornerstone. And I'll say, oh, okay. And they'll say, are you new? I'm like, no. No, I've been there since 2009. And they're like, oh, when's the last time you were at church? Like, but it's great. Like, I love that these people still associate their church as Cornerstone, and we get to hopefully reach and engage them in, in some way, shape, or form. But there's also another group of people that, that fall into this crowd. And that's the people who aren't just new to Cornerstone, but are new to church. And let me just tell you this. Back in February, if you were with us, you remember that we took a survey and kind of just asked some questions about what brought you to Cornerstone, why you're here, what, what your church background is like. And what we discovered is that one out of every three people is not just new to Cornerstone in the last five years, but they are new to church in the last five years. Meaning they either are brand new, stepping into the doors of a church, never been before, or they used to go when they were a kid and then they left the church and didn't come back until recently. 33% of the people that attend church here at Cornerstone fall in that category, which is so cool. Like, I love that. The crazy thing is, so a couple other things. Um, We know that 98.1%, we used to say 95, but we've just seen a recent study, 98.1% of the Bay Area is not churched. So our number of people that we reach who are not churched should be pretty high. The crazy thing is back in 2011, when we first took a survey like that, we found out that 9% of our church were new to church. 9%, that was it which means that we had a lot of people that were coming from other churches to attend Cornerstone. So it was like church transfer growth, which is not the, the type of growth that I think we need to, to have in order to impact the East Bay. We should be reaching people who don't know Jesus. And so the fact that things have changed that much, that now 33%, one out of every three of you are new to church in the last five years. That is so cool. I'm so glad you're with us. Now, quick side note, if you've, been to Corner, if you've been at Cornerstone for a while, you can see why things have changed over the past five years. And if that's been tough, if you've been at Cornerstone for a while and that's been tough to see, let me just say, I totally get it. Like, it totally makes sense to me. 
Because I remember, I remember when I first fell in love with Jesus, the sermons that I heard, the worship music that was played, the events that I attended religiously were all things that I loved. And I felt like that's what brought me in to know Jesus. And all that stuff is different now. It's all changed. But I realized that the reason it has changed is because church isn't about me. Because if church is just about my preferences, if it's just about what I'm used to, if it's just about doing things the way I need things to be done, then consequently the only story I care about is my own. And I had to recognize that and wrestle, wrestle through that. But my hope for you and where I hope to lead us as a campus, if you've been around church for a while, is that church would be more about what you can do for your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ than what your church can do for you. I think that's what we're called to. And I also think this is why those of you, those of us who have been around church for a while play a vital role within the church. Because here's the deal. When we fell in love with Jesus, someone or some church was doing for us what we now need to do for the next generation of the church. That's what we're called to. So let's do for someone else what some person in our past did for us that led us into a relationship with the Savior of the world. Now, I'm glad you're with me on that. And, and just so we know, the people that I'm referring to probably fall in these next two categories, and that is our, our committed. Our committed folks are the people that are here maybe two, three weekends out of the month, um, but maybe they haven't because of life circumstance or whatever, haven't really engaged in, in, in a community group or serving or giving to the church. They're not really fully invested, but they're here every weekend or almost every weekend, and they love, they love what's going on at Cornerstone. But then there's this next group, and that's our core. Our core, see how they all start with C? That's how I remember things. I'm not that smart. So, so here's the deal. The core are the group of people who are fully invested. They are giving. They are serving. They are leading in significant ways. They're a big part of our community groups. They are making disciples like Pastor Steve talked about last week. They are what? The core of this church are what make this church what it is. It's not the staff. It's not, it's not, it's not the people that, that are up on this platform. It is the core of this church that make this church what it is. So we got to this place where we were, we were able to identify that this is who is here and this is who is not quite here, but hopefully here soon. And we went, okay, if our goal is to help people take their next step with Jesus, how in the world do we do that with all of these groups of people? And if I'm being completely honest with you, this is tough. This is not an easy thing to do because every person is at a different place in their journey with Jesus. Every person has a different story, which is awesome. Regardless of where you are on this list, I think this is the right place for you to be because we want to help you take your next step. But here's the deal. We want to take people from 1 to 60 in their relationship with Jesus. Not to say that you can ever like arrive at 60 and I think every person always has a next step to take with Jesus. But we know that there are people sitting in their room that are at like a, in this room that are at like a 55 or people watching online, you're at like a 55. Like you've, you've been molded and shaped by Jesus. You, you've been living your life with Christ and that's who you are. You're so far along in your journey with Jesus. And then at the same time, there's also people in this room or in our courtyard or, or, or in the family venue that are at a two. And what the people that are at a two are the people that walk in and we, we have this every single weekend. People walk into church a little pessimistic, wondering like, what, what is this all about? What are you gonna? What are you gonna say to me? What are you gonna? What are you gonna? What are you gonna make me do? They're they're just coming in, going. 
I wonder if this Jesus person that I keep hearing about from my friends or my neighbors or whatever, if this is a person that I want to invest any time or energy in. The crazy part, the, the difficult part, the challenge is that the 55 and the 2 are sitting right next to each other in church right now, which is incredible. It's awesome, but you see the challenge. You see how difficult that might be that we would help each person take their next step with Jesus. I love it. Like, I think it's so healthy for us. Like, this is what church should be, that people would be at all different places in, the, in their journey. But this is why we have some very clear goals for this coming year of how we want to move forward with the mission God has given us. And this is specific to the Livermore campus because we know that if, if we take these steps as a church, they will produce great stories in your life and in the lives of those around you. Now, if you're new here, what I'm about to walk through, we don't do this every week. Like, I don't get up on stage and like, hey, here's the goals for us as a church. But I do want to give you a picture of where we're headed. So if you're new, you are positioned like no one else to hold us accountable to this and tell us whether or not we're doing a good job. So I'm so glad you're, you're with us this weekend. Great weekend for you to be at church. But, uh, but we have goals as a campus. And you can read these in your trifold. Open it up. You'll see 2020 goals on the right-hand side of your trifold. Check those out with me real quick. I want to walk you through these goals. And they all center around three major themes. Are you ready? Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Fantastic. Good. You're with me. You weren't with me the first time. You thought it was rhetorical. It wasn't. Okay. The, the, first, question, the first theme that we have is around the idea uh, of wanting, we want you to connect. Specifically, connect in smaller community. In 2020, we want to grow in our community group in involvement. And here's why. Don't miss this. I believe that smaller community is where real growth happens. So if you aren't in a community group, get in one. I can't say it any more plainly. Because here's the deal. These weekends, this is just the beginning of the conversation. When I get up here and talk for 30 minutes, sometimes 40, when I get up here and talk... For 30 minutes, this is just the beginning of the conversation. It doesn't stop here. It has to continue somewhere else. It, just coming to the weekend is like, is like going and watching the first quarter of a football game and being like, I'm good. Don't need to see any more of that. Or, or watching the first episode of a sitcom that we're like, I love that, and then never watching it again. That, that's what that's like. So, so these conversations have to continue some way, in some way, shape, or form somewhere else. And the best place, not the only place, the best place for this to continue is in smaller communities. So if you're in that crowd group or maybe that committed group, this would be a great next step for you. All right, the next theme is, is around the idea of serving. Um, if you remember my friend that I talked about last week that hit all of his financial goals, he, and he said how empty he was after that, uh, they, him and his wife are, are volunteer marriage counselors here at Cornerstone. They actually, he told me, he just told me that Someone from outside of our church reached out to our church and said, hey, my wife and I are going through a tough time. Can you please give someone, uh, give us someone that will help mentor and encourage us? They don't even go to Cornerstone, but they heard about our marriage counseling. And so they're, they're going to be, they're going to be mentoring this couple. And, and as he was telling me, he was just lighting up. And I said, hey, you know what I've noticed about you is whenever you talk about serving, you just get so amped about everything. And he said, yes. Yes, absolutely. He said, outside of my family, which is not a side note, but an absolute, outside of my love for my family, serving in the church is where I find meaning. That's where I find purpose. And he was so excited about it. And I get it because as a church, we have seen this time and time again, the great things that happen in people's journey when they serve someone else. It's, you know, Jesus was a big part of this. Uh, this is a big part of Jesus' mission. 
Son of man came not to be served, but to serve. So we're trying to follow suit there. Again, if you're in the crowd, what a great next step for you. Whether that's in facilities or students or kids or IT or production or, or whatever, find a place to serve. Help produce stories. Help produce stories. And if you're in that committed or core group, I'm going to take it one step further because this is the disciple making that Pastor Steve talked about last week. We need you to invest in kids, students, or other adults and do for one of them or some of them what someone else once did for you. That's what we need from you because that's not just the next generation of the church. That's the church right now and they need to be invested in and cared for and mentored and apprenticed. So we need that from you. That's why you see our goal of 100 new leaders in, in kids and students in 2020. We care about this because we care about our, our, younger, um, our younger folks here at this church. Okay, the last one, the last one is to give, to give. You'll see a couple goals around this and, uh, and just, you know, with everything we, we learn from Solomon and Zacchaeus, and if you read anything that Jesus said about money, I think it's safe to say that giving is the ultimate way to prove that we care less about stuff and more about stories. So what these next two minutes are about, they can be a great next step for anyone, whether you're in the crowd, you're in the committed, or you're the core, regardless of where you are in your journey with Jesus, this would be a great next step for you. And I want to begin this conversation, this part of the conversation, by telling you about a dream that I have. See, I would love to get to the place as a church with our recurring monthly giving where the money and resource that you commit to give every single month, that we can count on that to provide for all the things that keep this church moving forward, like paying our mortgage, facilities upkeep, salaries, program and operating budgets, all those things. I don't think it's a secret that we have to pay those things. That's a reality at this church. Those are, those are some of the places that your resource goes. Um, even like... like Heating and air is something that your resource goes to, which, how are we doing? Are we hot or cold right now? See, everyone's different. We can never get it right. So we have to pay to make you uncomfortable, uh, which, which is great. Um, but here's the deal. If we can get to the place where we know that our bills will be paid, that the lights will stay on, that everything needs to be taken care of will be, and this can only happen through the recurring monthly giving that we can count on, that it would afford us the opportunity to, to make this dream become a reality. And here it is. Here's the, the, my big dream, is that if everything else is taken care of, including all the money that we give away, this in 2019 so far, we've given away $1.5 million. So in, including that, um, yeah, the, praise God. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, is that I can get up above and beyond that, that I can get, get up on any given weekend and talk about some of the great ministries and causes and organizations that we partner with as a church, the ministries that are helping write new stories every single day, the, 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 the ministries that are responding to great tragedy, the horrific tragedy that we would be able to come alongside that anytime they reach out to us that we can say, yes, we're on it. That's what this weekend's gonna be devoted to. That's my hope, that on any specific weekend, I can get up here and say, hey, every single penny that you give, when those bags are passed, when you drop something in there, when you give online, that this weekend, every single penny that you give is going away to that specific cause. I would love to see that on one weekend, we sent 50 kids to a young life camp to experience Jesus because we see the value in that. And we can say that we did that on a weekend or that it's young life people in the back. And that that if in one weekend we, we support or we built two freshwater wells in Ghana to provide clean water for entire communities in the country of Ghana, or then in one weekend 
We paid for the education for 100 girls in the Philippines so they no longer have to sell their bodies to provide for their family. That's what I want to get up here and do and talk about, and I think we can get there. Now, just to be honest, we're already doing those things. Like, those things are happening, but I think we can do more, and I think it's what God is calling his church to do. He wants us to do more. That's the more he's asking us to look for. And here's the other thing. Think about this with me. Just in this past week, just in this past week, some of us have committed to give Disney $6.99 a month for our entertainment. (laughs) Including me, including me. But here's the deal. That's recurring spending. That's recurring spending. But what about stories? What about stories? How much are stories worth to you? I think it's time for each of us to consider either upping our game when it comes to our recurring monthly giving or to begin to give on a monthly recurring basis because we care more about stories than we do about stuff. Again, I believe that the church, just like John said earlier, the church is is uniquely positioned to tell the greatest stories because we are attached to the greatest story of all time. We are the bride of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. And that's the more that Jesus is asking us to look for. So as the church, we need partners and owners like you who care enough about the mission God has given Cornerstone Fellowship right here in the East Bay to commit to this moving forward, starting right now. And if you want to know what that looks like, just check this back panel of your, of your handout and it'll walk you through that whole thing. But I think this is what God is asking us to, asking us to move on. Now, just real quick, the reality is that the Livermore campus is the central engine that has launched four other campuses in the East Bay, that we are, and, and actually one, one online campus as well, that we, we, are, we are moving discipleship forward in the East Bay because we have all these mission posts throughout the East Bay, and we're going to continue to move forward in that mission, just like we've done in Brentwood, Walnut Creek, Danville, and Hayward. We're going to continue to do that while also giving significant resource away. Like I said, we gave $1.5 million to outreach initiatives across the world, which is so awesome, and that's not changing. Even if this dream doesn't become a reality, we're going to do that, but I think we can do more. I think we can do more. Um, Just so you guys get a little insight... One of those outreach initiatives that, that we're moving forward on in 2020, regardless of what happens with this dream or anything else, is, um, is directly related to our homeless community. For those of us that live in the Tri-Valley, we know that our homeless community needs our help. Uh, I have conversations with, with the city of Livermore and, and uh, Mayor Marchand all the time, and he's just like, we need to move forward on some of this stuff. And so one of the things we're doing in 2020 is just a small part of, of this initiative to, to reach our homeless community, but I want to fill you in on it because you're going to see something different here at the Livermore campus. And that's this. Um, my wife, and I probably have a little more skin in the game in this because of my wife comes home every single week and, or probably every other week and she'll, well, she comes home every day, but, um, <laughs> but she'll come home with a story about every other week and, and her story will be that, that, that there's a woman, a, a mom and her kids that are living in their car. And it's, it's a, I've, told, I've shared this before, but it's, it's like different moms all the time. And, and the reality is that it's just, it's happening at an alarming rate that moms and their kids are living in their car. And the thing that scares those moms while they're in limbo trying to find a, a permanent housing solution is that they don't have anywhere safe to park. And so we said as the church, like if, 
that's just a small step we can take, then we are going to create safe parking here at the Livermore campus in Cornerstone Fellowship <laughs> where, where these... These moms, these moms and their kids are going to have access to our showers. A lot of you probably didn't even know we had showers here, but we have some showers here that they're going to be able to shower in the morning. We're, we're paying for security every night so that security can watch over them, and they know that they will be safe because the church is called to do that for those women and their kids. Now, again, this is not a long-term solution. Like, we're not like, all right, we did it. No, Cornerstone goes to great lengths to help these moms and their kids find permanent housing. And we're going to continue to do that. But the reality is that they just, for, for a short season, hopefully, um, through God's provision, that it's just a short season. But the reality is that they, they do live in their cars. So this is what you're going to be seeing here in the Livermore campus starting in January. Um, so I want you guys to be looking out for that. Um, but with that said, like I said, we're moving on this in 2020 regardless of, of what else happens. Uh, so if there's anyone here considering making a year-end donation to Cornerstone, no that when you give to your church, moms and kids inside of our church are greatly impacted through our kids programs and all the things that we have going on, but literally moms and kids right outside of our church will be impacted by the money that you give because they're gonna be sleeping in our, in our parking lot, in their cars, knowing that they have a safe place to be. So I think it's a great thing to give toward. All right, um, those are our goals for next year. And I hope that you take a step with us. I hope like John said earlier that, that that stories that make us more like Jesus are the more that we as a campus are looking for. So if any of this resonated with you today, talk to our team, stop by the Connect Center, or if you need to, email me directly and I'll get you connected to whoever you need to get connected with. My email address is Steve I, I almost said Steve M just for fun, Steve I, which is Steve Madsen's email, um, Steve I at cornerstoneweb.org. I would love to help you along your journey to help you figure out how to take your next step with Jesus. Okay, I've talked way too long, um, so I'm just going to talk for a little bit longer. I'll, 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 I'll close with this. I'll close with this. Um, two weekends ago, I was hanging out in, in our courtyard, and I ran into one of our high school volunteers. His name is Clint, um, not the high school pastor Clint. This is a different Clint with more hair. And for those of you who know that our high school pastor, you're like, oh, yeah, he's bald. Um, no, this is a different Clint. And Clint and I were talking about the group of high school boys that, that he— he oversees and he mentors and disciples. And I went, um, dude, I remember when you started working with, with those boys. And he's like, yeah, me too. And it was all down at, at Hume Lake. He volunteered, Clint volunteered to go down for a week to Hume Lake where he took a week off of work to spend a week with middle school students. Now, for any of you who have middle schoolers, you're like, God bless his soul <laughs> for doing that. Um, so he did that, and, and just so you know, those of you who have already committed to recurring giving, we were able to send 100 volunteers to disciple and mentor our middle school and high school students, 450 of them last summer. And just so you know why that's so significant, uh, we get more time with those students in one week than we get the entire year combined. So great discipleship happens in that one week. So thank you for those of you who give that, that allow us the opportunity to do that. So anyway, I was, I was, I was down there the same time as Clint. And, and I went on a walk one night, and he, he, I ran into Clint, which I was like, that's where you should be with your kids. And, and I ran into him, and he, his eye was twitching a little bit. Like, his whole body was twitching a little bit. And I was like, hey, man, how, how are you doing? And he said, Steve, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to kill one of them. <laughs> now, he was joking about the last part, I, I think. Like, it was probably good that we talked. But, 
But after he calmed down a little bit, he said, you know what? I'm just going to finish out this week. I'm going to do the best that I can for these boys, and then I'm done. Like, I'm never working with these kids again. That was six years ago. (laughs) That was six years ago, and Clint has been leading and serving the same group of high school boys that are now in high school since they were in middle school at Hume Lake that week six years ago. That is six years of going to their games. Six years. Give it up, man. That's... That is, that is six years of going to their games, six years of talking to those kids when the words of their parents were somehow not getting through to them. Six years of caring for and investing in and discipling those boys. And this year, his boys are going to graduate. And Clint came up to me last couple weeks ago and just, just started saying, hey, Steve, one of them said the coolest thing to me. He said, he said Clint, you're going to be in my, in my life for the rest of my life, whether you like it or not. It was so cool. Here's the deal. I'm confident that Clint is going to be in some of those boys' weddings. He's going to teach them about being a good husband and raising good kids in a way that honors Jesus because he does that. And this is the third time I've done this. I get choked up every time because I start thinking about the people that have done that for me. See, these boys that he spent countless hours investing in, will tell stories for the rest of their lives about the hope they've found in Jesus Christ. And Clint will be a massive, massive part of those stories. And it's all because that's the more that Clint was looking for. He cares less about stuff and more about stories. He could have used all that extra time and energy and resource over the last six years to provide more for himself. He could have been just like Solomon and fulfilled more of his own desires and pleasures with his time and money, but his hope lies in something bigger than himself. And I know that Clint would stand before you today and say, I never could have imagined that God would use me like this. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, here's what Paul said. He said, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the more that Clint is looking for. See, that's, that's the more, church, that's the more that we were made for because for as much as we love stories of life change, God wants them more. More stories of hope, more stories of healing, more stories of reconciliation, more stories of saved and changed lives for all of eternity. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, not for our glory, but for his. This is a great great more for us to be looking for more stories. That's what we're about in 2020. Let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful to be a part of this church family, this this church that is so surrendered to you and where you're leading and where you're guiding. God, I hope that we would stay surrendered. My prayer is that we would stay surrendered, that that anything that we do, if we get a little bit offline, that, that you correct us quickly, Lord that we would follow you, that we would, that we would just listen to everything you have to say so that we can be exactly what your church is meant to be right here in the East Bay. God, that the more we're looking for is exactly the more that you've called us to. More stories, God. Not more stuff, not more things, more stories. Stories of life change. God, lead us and guide us. Do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine for your glory, God. 
We adore you. We love you. We're so grateful for this coming year and all that you're going to do. God, this is why I believe the best is yet to come because I know that you're steering the ship. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.